0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Hey, today I want to do a little bit of a... I've got one Old Testament story to share. But I've got three questions to ask. It's kind of like a, a middle-of-the-year spiritual health check. Do you know yesterday was the halfway mark to Christmas? It's hard to believe yesterday was the halfway mark to Christmas. We're in the middle of the year. Where is the first half of this year gone? And maybe there's a whole bunch of things. We started the year thinking there'd be really good things God wanted us to do. And we're kind of halfway through and it might be just time to get back on track a little bit. So today, one story, but three questions. And they're three quite different questions and maybe the first question will apply to you and you can just tune out for the rest of the message. If that's true, think about who you're going to be praying for. And maybe you've got to hang in there to the third question that's uh, for you today. And maybe all three of them are for, are for you. And I just want to spend some time. I actually don't think you really need a really long sermon today. I'm probably going to give you one anyway. But I, I actually think uh, we just need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other that, uh, around these three questions. Are we up for that? All right, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you uh, you do walk with us through every season, in every generation. I thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. You never let us go. And God, I just thank you that today you have a word for us. And I pray that you give us ears to hear that word that will give us strength and courage, fill us with joy and purpose. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, just before COVID hit, it was just—I remember—it was just a week before I was starting to get in the news, but we hadn't gone into lockdown yet. Uh, we had to say goodbye to our dog that uh, had been a part of our family for 16 years. This is uh, this is our dog uh, Max. We moved up to uh, Queensland 18 years ago. And I remember the first Christmas, you know, the kids were a bit sad heading to Christmas, our kids were much younger back then, Uh, they wouldn't have the family around, it was going to be our first Christmas, just us, all our families still down in New South Wales, anyone cheering for the blues tonight? No, a couple, All right. thank you, thank you, cheer and pray hard, enter into the fight in prayer, we're going to need it. Anyway, our kids, you know, a little disappointed that they wouldn't have all the family around like they normally did, and so... Uh, we thought a good distraction uh, would be to buy a dog. And, it was, uh, be, and he, Max became part of our family from the moment that we arrived in Queensland. He's been part of uh, our life. Just uh, He was 16 years old. He was pretty old uh, for a border collie. And uh, we'd been feeding him all sorts of drugs because of the arthritis in his legs for the last few years. He was starting to get a little uh, slower and a little more decrepit. But one morning uh, in March... Last, uh 2020, uh, I got up and Max couldn't get up on his back legs anymore. and he's just, He was getting lame in his uh, back legs and we just decided, all right, this is cruel to try and uh, keep him uh, alive. We need to take him to the vet and uh, let him go to sleep. None of the girls, so he's been very much part of our family for 16 years, none of the girls could bear going to the vet, and so it landed uh, to me and Joey one Saturday morning. We, uh, we drove him to the vet and I remember we uh, carefully picked him up on a blanket. He couldn't walk anymore out of the back seat of the car and we carried him, you know, carefully and tenderly into the surgery. And as we sat down there with him in the surgery, we patted him, you know, for about half an hour and we told him what a good dog he was and how much we loved him. We talked tenderly, you know, to this dog. We gave him little chalky treats that we probably hadn't given him since he was a puppy. You know? <laughs> but we're feeding him these treats in his last moments and as he's starting to go to sleep and the struggle is over, our hearts are filled with grief and compassion and there's two grown men you know, sitting in this surgery with tears running down our eyes as we're saying goodbye to our dog as he died. Has anybody else had a similar experience like that with a pet, as you said goodbye to a pet? It's, a, it's incredible how much, you know, a, an animal can actually grab our, our hearts. And, it's made me, and the, the fact is, Max wasn't a perfect dog. In fact, he was pretty annoying at times. You know, he he chewed through our timber gates when I locked him up one time. He found a way to chew through the gates. You know, when I when I reconstructed the gates, he just kept pounding on them so hard until he pulled the ramset bolts out of the brickwork and pushed the gates over. He was a determined dog. He was an annoying dog. He dug up, you know, my garden. He dug up the grass. He'd chase possums, you know, around our fence at night and keep all of our neighbors awake and then the the ultimate you know moment was we were driving back down to Sydney and uh, he was in the back seat on our family holiday and one of the kids had had the bright idea of feeding him two kilos of leftover tie from the night before which didn't agree with him and he exploded with doggy diarrhea in the back seat you know of our car and we're all driving down the Pacific Highway at about 140 to get there as quick as we could with our heads out the window like this because we couldn't bear the stench he wasn't a perfect dog he was a pretty annoying dog sometimes but our hearts were filled with compassion we carried him we cared for him we comforted him many of you know that same experience My, my, my question today is What if we were that kind to painful people? Because people can be pretty annoying. Now people can make big mistakes and they can make big messes and they can, you know, keep us up at night with worry and they can, you know, just it's just a stench, you know, wherever they go because of the mess that they make, you know, in our lives. People can be pretty annoying and frustrating. What if we showed the same kindness, the same compassion, the same care to annoying people? I want to read a story today about a guy who felt like a dead dog. He actually uses those exact words. That's how he felt. He felt like a dead dog, but he got shown extravagant kindness. I wonder what it would look like for us to do exactly the same thing. Story, maybe not a story, maybe a story you've skipped over in the past. 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so just hang in there with me, all right? David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? He's going looking to show kindness to someone for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there still no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Zeba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. Zeba answered, he's at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar simply means no pasture. It's kind of like saying nowhereville." No man's land in the middle of nowhere. is living in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness... For the sake of your father Jonathan, I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, "Where? what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family, you and your sons and your servants that have farmed the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth, everyone say Mephibosheth. It's pretty hard. I've been practicing it all week and I'm still kind of stumbling over it. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Zeba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, I'm sick of saying that name, lived in Jerusalem because he ate at the king's table and he was lame in both feet. A little bit of context here. Alright, Saul is the first ever king uh, of Israel and uh, Saul was a mighty warrior but his heart became proud and he turned away from God. And so Samuel, who's actually the dude that's writing this book, it's called 2 Samuel, he actually turns up, he's a prophet and he anoints David, a young shepherd boy, as the king. Outside of the line of Saul, he's not part of Saul's family and he's, he's kind of a, you know, a no one. He's a skinny little kid, you know, as a shepherd living out in the fields. And, and uh, Samuel says, David, you're going to be the king. And David actually, you know, joins Samuel's Samuel joins Saul's army after defeating uh, Goliath and he be, too becomes a mighty warrior. And everyone's saying about David, you know, Saul kills his thousands but David kills tens of thousands. He's a stronger warrior, he's a greater leader. And so Saul, who's still the king, gets jealous and he starts da- chasing David around the countryside trying to kill him miraculously David and Saul's son Jonathan become best mates. They become really uh, uh, good mates. And David makes a promise to Jonathan. He says, when I become king, I'm going to look after your family. Normally what would happen when a new king got on the throne, they'd wipe out the old family. They didn't want anyone trying to usurp their throne. And so the first action they did when they got on the throne was to kill all of the old family. But David makes a promise to Jonathan, when I become king, I'm going to look after your family. I'm going to show kindness to your family. He makes a covenant with him like God makes with, with us. It's a promise, you know, you know, bound together in blood. But Jonathan and Saul both die in battle. And David becomes king. And, and he says, who is it? that I can still show kindness to. Now Mephibosheth, when he heard that his his, his dad and his granddad were killed in battle, he fled because he knew he was going to get killed by the new king. And so he flees to Lodabar. He's only five years old. And, And as his servant picks him up, somehow in the hurry to get away from this place of danger, Mephibosheth gets dropped And he gets dropped really badly. I don't know if he was sitting on top of a horse or a camel or something because he got dropped so badly that both of his feet stayed lame for the rest of his life and he couldn't walk, which is a pretty big deal when you're living in an agricultural society and the only way to eat is if you farm and he's lame in both feet. And it's a pretty big deal. When when you're thinking that the king is out to kill you, he's searching for you to to kill you and you can't flee anywhere because you're lame in both feet. And so he's hiding in this place called Lodabar. He's hiding in the middle of nowhere hoping that no one will ever find him. But David says, I want to go looking to show kindness to Jonathan's family. Is there anyone left? They say, living in the middle of nowhere is a lame guy called Mephibosheth. And David says, bring him to me. In this story, we see that King David is kind to dead dogs. The reason I think this story has relevance for us today is because the king of Israel was always a pitcher, a forerunner, of our king that would one day come and sit on his throne forever. The king of Israel was a picture of King Jesus. And so when we see the king of Israel actually acting with the grace, the kindness and the power of God, it's a picture of what Jesus has come to do for all people all time. When we see the king of Israel showing incredible, extravagant kindness to one person, it's a picture of what King Jesus would one day come and do for all people. King David is kind to dead dogs. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He notices lost people to show extravagant kindness to. This is an unexpected kindness. And Mephibosheth bows down like a whimpering dog before the king. And he says, what is your servant that you should notice A dead dog like me have you ever felt like a dead dog you ever felt like I've just been left out in the sun I've gone hard and crusty and I've got a bit of fur missing and you know I've got a few scars and I know I should get up and get on with it but I can't because I'm dead (laughs) I feel dead on the inside and I'm just you know the most I can hope for is someone will just come and scrape me you know off the path with a shovel you ever felt that low that's how low Mephibosheth feels. He can't, as he kneels before the king like a whimpering dog, he can't see any hope for the future. But King David was kind to people who feel like dead dogs. And if you're here today and you kind of, you know, you're feeling like there's not too much hope for the future, Jesus has kindness for you. And I want to encourage us today, if you know the kindness of Jesus in your life, then we're actually called to show that kindness to others. You know, one time, you know, Jesus is healing, he's teaching, and there's, uh, there's crowds gathering around him. Everyone wants a part of him. He's the important person in town. He's got everybody's attention. Crowds are pressing against him. And there's one woman in the crowd who actually was not supposed to be there. You know, she was actually, you know, she had this physical condition that meant that she needed to separate herself from community. She wasn't supposed to be in community. She shouldn't have been in the crowd. But she's desperate. She's been living with this physical condition for 12 years. And in her desperation, she finds a way into the crowd and she reaches out and she touches Jesus' coat. And she's instantly healed. And she's hoping that she can just touch his coat, get healed and get on with life. But this woman doesn't go unnoticed. You know, this Jesus notices that somebody has actually touched him. He says, who's touched me? I can feel the power has gone out of me. And the disciples say to him, Jesus, what are you talking about? There's people everywhere around you. What do you mean who touched you? He says, I know someone has reached out and taken power from me. And it says in Luke 8, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet just like Mephibosheth, just trembling like a dog and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she'd been instantly healed. And then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. It's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus actually calls someone daughter. It's the only time. This one poor woman who reaches out in faith, hoping not to go unnoticed. He calls a daughter. Now, I love all of you in the room, but there's only three people in my world that I call daughter, and I love them more than all of you. I was there when they were born. I watched them take their first step. You know, I was there you know, when they were hurt and they needed somebody to comfort them. I've had the joy of walking one of them you know, down the aisle. She steps into a new phase of life. I've got a special place in my heart for my three daughters. You need to understand this morning, it's the way King Jesus feels about each of you. He was there when you were born. He watched you take your first steps. He watched you take your first steps of faith. You've never gone unnoticed by Jesus. He sees the mistakes that you've made and he's always there. And this is the thing we've got to understand. He's never there when we make a mistake looking to punish us. He's always there with open arms saying, I want to care for you. I've got compassion in my heart. I want to show you comfort. I I don't want you to go on sinning, but I, I want you to know my incredible kindness. I want to give you strength and hope for the future to actually live a new life. You've never gone unnoticed by King Jesus. He notices where you're at right now. And he's got extravagant kindness in his heart for you. He's got compassion for you. He carries you in your time of need. My question for us today is who are you showing that extravagant kindness to? Who are you noticing that you can show extravagant kindness to? Mephibosheth says, why would you notice a dead dog like me? I I wonder this week, who could you show such extravagant kindness to that they might say to you, why would you notice a single mum like me? Why would you notice an old sinner like me? Why would you notice... Just a lonely guy in the street like me. Why would you notice a loser like me? See, you can't change the world for everyone. But you can change the world for someone. I just want to ask you this morning, who are you noticing that you could show extravagant kindness to this week? It's question number one, just heart check. Who are you noticing that you could show extravagant kindness to this week? You can't change the world for everyone, but you can change the world for someone as you show extravagant kindness to them. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He notices lost people to show extravagant kindness to. And our king is kind uh, to dead dogs. He restores what we've lost. When we, For the last 16 years, when we'd lost something in our house, we actually knew it would be returned eventually. It would either be chewed up into bits and we'd find it you know, somewhere in the backyard or it was swallowed whole and it would get returned in a special little doggy doo-doo shape you know, on, uh, on our grass sometime in the next uh, couple of days. You know, What was lost would get returned, but it wasn't restored. You know, Our dog ate three plastic dolls, Barbie twice, you know, he, he ate tennis balls, he chewed them into bits and swallowed them whole. One Easter he ate all of the kids' Easter eggs, foil and all. That foil was returned, you know, all over our backyard from Easter until Christmas. But they weren't restored. You see to restore, to restore something is to is to return something or someone to its original condition or position. That's what David does for Mephibosheth, who feels like a dead dog. He says, I'm going to surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll always eat at my table. When Saul and Jonathan you know, were killed. Mephibosheth you know, fled to, uh, to the place called No Pasture. Nowhereville, he was probably hungry, he didn't have anything great to eat. But David calls him back to the palace. He says, from now on you'll eat at my table and I'm going to give you, because you've got to understand when you're the king, you've chosen the most fertile land in the valley. I'm going to give you back the most fertile land in the valley. I'm giving you back your grandfather Saul's land. I'm going to give you the servants to farm it. You will never, ever go hungry. I'm going to restore you. I'm not just giving you the leftovers. I'm not just giving you the offcuts. I'm going to restore to you your original position, and I'm going to give you the land in its original condition. He restores. King David restores what was lost, not because Mephibosheth deserves it, but because he's kind. King Jesus restores what we've lost, not because we deserve it. This is what I want us to get this morning. It's not about deserving it. It's because he's always kind. He wants to restore us. When people couldn't understand how kind the heart of Father God was, Jesus tells the most outrageous story he could think of. The worst son in the history of the world who goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want your money now. And you need to understand in the story of the prodigal son, in this culture, the father wouldn't have had the cash lying around in his bank. His, his, His inheritance was the land. It was an asset. The father would have sold a third of his land to give to the younger son. The younger son takes that inheritance, that land that can never be restored, can never, you know, can never be, will never come back into the family name, ripped off the family, ripped off the community. Jesus is going, imagine the worst son you can possibly Imagine. And he takes that money, wastes it all on wild living. When there's none left, he ends up in a pigsty. It's kind of like bar. It's a, it's a place where there's nothing to eat except the slops in the pigsty. And as he's there, he realises, I'm going to waste away here. There's nothing here for me. And so he turns for home, thinking, you know, if I could just become a servant in my father's household... But the father sees his coming, sees him coming a long way off, and he runs, which no, you know, patriarch of the family would do. It was disgraceful, you know, to run. You were the guy who sat on the big chair and everybody served you. But he ran towards his son and he puts his arms around his son and he embraces him and he fully restores him to the family, not because he deserves it but because our Father in heaven is incredibly kind. Famous painting, Rembrandt painted. He got absolutely captured you know, by this story of the prodigal son. And he paints his paintings, one of the most valuable paintings in the world. And you see this stately father. This old man just embracing this repentant son. His arms around him are showing him kindness and protection. And the whole community would have wanted to kill him for what he'd done. In fact, the whole community had the right to kill him. But the father protects him, the father embraces him, and the father fully restores him. Gives him his position back, gives him the family coat and the family ring. He gives him purpose. See, in the, the painting... You know, his shoes are all worn out. He's just wearing the, the common sandals of a slave. He says, put new shoes on his feet. It was, the, it was the shoes of a farmer, of a landowner. It was a sign that you were no longer a slave, but you were a free man farming your own land. He restored him to his position. He restored him to his purpose. And then he throws him a party. He restores his joy. They all come together. The whole community celebrates because the one that was lost is now restored to the family. We sung about it in one of those songs this morning. Our Father, through the blood of the Son, restores us into relationship. You think about anything you restore, restoring old cars, restoring old furniture, restoring old houses. What does it take? Time and money. Sacrifice. To restore us into relationship, it took the greatest cost, the blood of his son. The father is so kind to restore us. When we were dead in our sins and lost in our transgressions, had no way of restoring ourselves back to the father. The father was willing to make the greatest sacrifice to restore us to not, not just to, you know, you know kind of uh, a leftover position or just kind of, you know, just the street sweeper in the family, but you're restored to sonship, to daughtership fully restored to original condition, original position. It does not matter what you've done in the past through the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are washed clean and you can come before the Father, you can stand before the throne of grace with confidence. You're a son and a daughter of the King. This is my second question for us this morning. What is it that God's restoring in you? Maybe you get to this halfway point in the year and you say, I need to be restored to community. I've kind of lost my place in the community. I'm feeling displaced. Maybe there's joy that needs to be restored. You're halfway through the year, and joy is just drained out of your life. And God's restoring your joy. Maybe it's a God's restoring purpose. He's just reminding you that you God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for you to do. There's still good works for you to do. Whatever, however you're feeling right now, he'll restore your purpose. Is there something that God needs to restore in you in this season? Henri Nouwen, when he talked about that painting that was up there before, can you just put that back up, um, Micah? It says, "I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against His chest, and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God." I wonder if that's what some of us need to do—just listen to the heartbeat of God and let Him restore our soul. I think there's some of us here today. It's something God needs to restore in us that you've lost. You once had joy, but you lost it. You once had purpose but you've lost it. You once knew your place in community, but you've lost it. God wants to restore it. Last one. Our king is kind to dead dogs. He invites us to eat at his table every day. Our dog was part of the family, but I hated the dog eating at the table. Anyone like their pet eating at the table with them? I know some people do. Anyone that loves a pet, but he's not allowed at the table? That was the rule at our home. But he keeps sniffing around the table because he didn't want to eat what was in his bowl when he could smell what was on the table. And the kids would often feed him from the table and it drove me mad for 16 years. And here's Mephibosheth feeling like a dead dog, but he gets invited to the king's table. It says... And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons for the rest of his life. He says to him, Nothing will be spared. Every day you'll eat at my table like one of my very own sons. And King Jesus is so kind to us. This is what we've got to understand. This is just a picture of what King Jesus does for us. He says, every day, I want you to eat at my table. I want to satisfy your soul. He says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. If your soul is hungry right now, It's because you're feeding it with all sorts of other things other than what Jesus wants to give you. The king spreads a table before us to eat of his food that satisfies our spiritual hunger and nourishes our soul. But too often, we're happy to eat the rubbish that can never satisfy and poisons our soul. Have you ever had lunch with someone? And uh, this happened to me just this week. No, last week. Ever had lunch with someone and they order you know, a hamburger with a lot, loaded fries, a side of cheesy garlic bread, you know, six onion rings, some breadsticks, a slice of mud cake with ice cream and whipped cream, and a Diet Coke? <laughs> My friend during the week said, just tell Chrissy about the Diet Coke, will you? Uh, So I'm joking, because it's close to the truth, but not quite. It's stupid as if the Diet Coke is going to make any difference with a diet like that. But I tell you what's equally stupid. It's equally stupid if you're thinking a Diet Coke is going to make any difference when you've eaten all that. It's the same as thinking, you know, I'll spend three hours binging Netflix... Then I'll spend four hours listening to Talkback radio, two hours searching the website for conspiracy theories, you know, 90 minutes just mindlessly scrolling on Facebook, two hours being belittled by the boss, but I'll for three and a half minutes, I'll read every day with Jesus. and thinking that we're actually going to get shaped by the three and a half minutes that we've put into our spiritual diet when we're filling it with everything else. If that's what your diet looks like, you are going to get shaped by that talkback radio. You're going to get shaped by the websites, the Facebooks, the bosses belittling you. You're not going to get shaped by Jesus. You see what? You are what you eat. That's true physically. You look at your body... You are what you eat. If you're eating healthy, you'll have a healthy body. If you eat unhealthy food, eventually your body is going to show that. It's exactly the same for us spiritually. You know, we we, we are what we eat spiritually. What you take into your soul will impact your soul. You know, I used to, uh, when I was in Sydney, I, I used to, helped my grandfather out, he, when he retired, he was a workaholic and so when he finally retired he started a market garden that could have fed most of Sydney. He grew so many vegetables that nobody wanted to eat. You know, we couldn't give them away and I'd often be dry as he got older and a bit frailer, I'd often be driving down to the produce store to buy, you know, fertilizer or manure or something that he needed, you know, for his garden and he couldn't get on his ute anymore And I'd go down there and uh, I'd often find the guy that ran the produce store eating dog biscuits. And I noticed he looked like a dog. He kind of looked, where's Jimmy? He looked a little bit like Jimmy up the back. You know, he had long scraggly hair, he had fur all over his face, he had hair hanging off him, you know, everywhere. He looked like he'd been dragged through a bush backwards. He was eating dog biscuits and he began to look like a dog. Jimmy's a very handsome looking dog, you know, mind you. You are what you eat. I wonder if there's just some of us here this morning and King Jesus has set a table before us that we're happy to chew on the dog biscuits. Yeah, kind of nibble them. Yeah, you're all going, yuck. You're all going, that's disgusting. It is as if you'd eat a dog biscuit. You know, a whole lot of us are doing this spiritually. God set a table before us. The King has set a table before us. And we're filling our lives with things that are below our calling. We're filling our lives with things that you can live on it, but they'll never satisfy God's got something better for us. This is my... Oh, yeah. my final, this is the only thing you're going to remember from today, I know. I just want, this is my final question. What are you eating from the king's table every day? What, what is it that you're taking into your soul that will actually nourish your soul? Are you chewing on the dog biscuits that are beneath your calling or are you actually living in the word of God and getting shaped by his goodness and his grace? Are you eating from the king's table? You know, i just tell you as I finish this morning, just a couple of, uh, couple of things that I do. and things. Some, one thing I've been doing for a very long time and uh, two things are a little newer to actually feed on god's word for a long time you've heard me say this before i do this soap journaling i just read scripture till i see a verse that uh god's really speaking to me about i write it out word for word and just slowing down to write it it just helps to listen to the word of god for me i always observe now what am i observing what's god doing in that scripture is application you now what am I going to do about this? How am I going to obey what Jesus is saying to I me? Mean, P is a prayer. I just write out a prayer. And for me, somebody who loves doing things, slowing down to write, just helps me. Let the Word of God shape my life and not be shaped by all of the other distractions out there. Newer thing I've been doing. I've never had a new car until the last couple of years, and I'm a technological dinosaur, and so I don't know how to use technology. Now I've got a new car with Apple CarPlay, and I actually know how to get podcasts and books playing, you know, on uh, in my car. And so I've never done this. I've never listened to other people's sermons. I, I got six sermons I listen to every week, and it's blessing me. It's just encouraging me. I'm just, I do a bit more driving these days around Queensland. I'm just listening to uh, these sermons and I'm listening to the Bible online and I'm listening to a couple of audible books as I drive. Rather than sitting and talk back radio, I'm just letting God's word wash over me. And the third thing, something I probably haven't done for a long time, is I'm just trying to memorise scripture more. I'm actually just saying, what are the few scriptures that God's really speaking to me in this season? I just want to memorise because when I'm facing things that are going on in my life, I actually want that to be the thing that shapes me, not the distractions around me. So Colossians 3, it just says, Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated on his throne. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly distractions. That simple verse has just ministered to me this year. So many other distractions and pressures and things that and conflict coming my way. It's just a daily choice. Set my heart on things above where Christ is seated on his throne. Jesus, you're still on your throne. You've got all power and authority. Set my mind, not on everything that's going on around me, but set my mind on things above, not on earthly distractions. And it helps me to live more like Jesus every day. Acts chapter 13, this couple of verses just put so much faith in my heart. As I look around at so many churches that are dying, so many churches that so much, only 8% of Australians sit in the church. It grieves me, grieves my heart. This moment in Acts chapter 13, it says, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, just a, just a normal church like us. While they're worshiping the Lord and, the, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, Set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. And after they fasted and prayed, they sent Saul and Barnabas off to share the gospel. It changed the Roman Empire. The next 250 years from this little hiding small group of Christians. 250 years later, the Roman Empire, Christianity became the dominant religion. It's happened before in history. I believe it can happen again in our nation. Just memorising those scriptures just has filled my heart with faith that God can, God can do something in my life that's powerful. God can do something in our nation that's powerful. I don't know, I'm not saying everyone's got to start listening to podcasts or sermons or memorising scripture. I'm just saying, how are you eating at the Lord's table? Are you snacking on rubbish that's actually shaping your soul and shaping your faith? Or you're sitting at the King's table and you're letting His Word shape your heart and shape your faith and shape the future of our nation? What are you snacking on? What are you eating? A king's table. I think that'll do. I, as I said I just wanted us to pray for each other to finish. I just want to go through those questions again. I'd love you just to stand where you are. I'd love to pray for you. If uh, you know God's just spoken to you, the three quite different questions. If you're here this morning, you just go. God's just put one person on my heart. One person that I want to show extravagant kindness to. One person I've noticed. I just know I want to show extravagant kindness. They might be in your family, might be in your neighbourhood, might be in your workplace. They don't deserve it. You're just choosing to show extravagant kindness to them. Come on, if you've got one person like that, that's what God's been reminding you of today, can I just get you to stand where you are? I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray that that person will get blessed. Extravagant kindness. Not because they deserve it. Simply because God is kind. Cool. Okay, who's got something that you just say, I need God to restore this in me. I need God to restore joy. I need God to restore community, purpose. You just know God's, you're halfway mark of the year, God's just restoring something. If that's you, just stand where you are. Just know there's a restoring that God's doing. All right, lastly, maybe you started the year and you said, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna eat healthy, I'm going to turn the TV off, I'm going to read my Bible every day, I'm going to pray more often, I'm not going to watch TV. And you're kind of halfway through the year and you're eating fruit loops and chocolate milk for breakfast and, you know, you're, uh, you're just mindlessly scrolling through Facebook. So I don't know what it is for you. But this morning you just realised... I'm chewing on dog biscuits when I could be eating at the Lord's table. And maybe today you're just saying, I'm choosing to come to the King's table and feed on his word. That's you to stand. All right, I'm just going to ask you if you're standing with, just, just put your hands out. Just say, oh, I just want to receive, I want to pray for you today. Father, this morning I just thank you. You are so kind. You are the kindest person that we will ever meet. We can't get our heads around how kind you are. You are so kind. You are so good. God, give us, right now as we stand here before you, give us revelation of your incredible kindness that you would send your son to die in our place. And God, I pray that this week you'd show us that one person to be kind to, Help us to notice them. And God, may we be extravagantly kind. May may they respond with, why would you show such kindness to a person like me? I pray, God, that you would break through in their heart. God, I pray there's those standing for that this morning saying, I notice that person. I'm going to show kindness. God, I pray they'd walk out of here with courage and they'd be extravagantly kind. But God, you, by your Spirit, would break through in their heart. You'd soften their heart. They wouldn't just see the kindness of the person in this room, but they truly would see the kindness of you, God. And Father, I pray for those that you are restoring, restoring joy, restoring purpose, restoring into community. God, would you come by your Holy Spirit and would you do the work in our hearts that only you can do. God, I pray particularly today where anxiety and depression and fear has taken hold, that, God, you would lift that off people and you would restore joy in Jesus' name. God, I pray that in the days and weeks to come, God, there'd be purpose. We would see those good works out there which you've designed us to do. And, God, we would step into them. We would make time for them. We would step into them with confidence full of your spirit, your power to be a blessing to others, God would you restore our hearts today and God I pray I pray that God there'd just be a richness in your word, God you'd invite us to your table every day every day we would just find in your word a word in season, a word that shapes us, a word that feeds us, a word that nourishes our soul. God, I pray that you change habits and you change disciplines here today, that you'd help us to find ways to sit at your table and have our spiritual hunger satisfied. And God, I do pray, there's others in this room, that God, you're going to fill our hearts with renewed faith, Faith of what you can do in this Ormo community. Faith of what you can do around this nation. God, would you you lift our eyes as we read your word. Lift our eyes, lift our hearts that we would be filled with faith. Faith that moves mountains. Faith that can see a nation turn back to you. Faith that can see a community turn around. Faith that can see a whole family redeemed in Jesus' name. God, feed us at your table every day fill our souls with good things I pray in Jesus name Amen Hey let's stand together let's sing Uh, this song just talks about the kindness of God you might actually just want to pray for the person next to you if you're standing next to someone just during the first chorus first verse just pray for the person next to you just pray that God will pour out a blessing today and this week and when you're ready let's sing We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au